All right. Well, I was wrestling with our sermon text deeply this week, and I opened up uh, a commentary that I've been using for this whole time to try to get some help. Um, and in the commentary, this guy is a scholar, Frederick Neil Bruner, who's brilliant. He says, like in the first paragraph of this passage, he says, this is the hardest passage in all of John's Gospel to teach. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I think that's because it's one of the hardest to read. Uh, this passage is a tough one. So, let's read it together. And I want to do my best to show you what God has shown me in this passage. And then we'll just give the whole thing to Jesus in prayer. Okay? Now let's stand as we read it. Remember, Jesus is teaching in the temple at that big festival. And it says, Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, 
Now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And you do not know him. I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. You have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Uh, when I was in middle school, I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade when this happened. Uh, I had a friend who was Jewish. And I'm sorry to say I don't remember his name. I've been racking my brain all week. Uh, but I remember that we sat at the same table in the cafeteria, and we had even spent time together outside of school. I remember that uh, I felt a great spiritual burden for my friend. As a practicing Christian and as a practicing Jew, we shared so many of our beliefs. Beliefs about God, beliefs about the world, um, beliefs about humanity. But we didn't share the most important belief. A belief that Jesus is the Messiah. God's Son. And this bugged me. I wanted so badly for my friend to come to know and believe in Jesus. I wanted him to know and believe in Jesus as his personal Savior. I wanted him to know and believe in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And I felt sad that he didn't know Jesus that way. And kind of like Mary's story, Mary's friend, I felt this burden. I needed to tell him. So we talked about this a lot. Um, but he always kind of had something to say about why he didn't want to believe in Jesus. There was always something. So I decided I was going to get through. And I went home, and I studied, and I prepared, and I got some resources, and I talked to people, and I, and I remember that I came to school ready to go. And on the day that it happened... We're sitting at the cafeteria table. Something came up about religion, which usually did because he was talking to me. I'm obsessed with talking about religion. And I felt like the door opened, and I went for it. I laid out a systematic case from the Old Testament. She said he believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. I checked every loophole pushed on every door and every window I laid out the case like a lawyer 
And he listened. He listened very carefully. He listened very respectfully. After all, he was my friend. And I don't know how long I talked, probably a long time, because it's me. And I got to the end of my case. And when I finished, I said, some, I said see, so it's, it's airtight, it's inevitable. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And I will never forget his response. He nodded and looked at me and he goes, makes sense to me. <laughs> and I said, really? Great. Do you want to give your life to Jesus right now? He said, no. And I said, why not? He said, because I'm Jewish. I was shocked. I was pissed off. As I look back on this event, I remember that in that moment, I began to despise him. I despised him for saying yes to Jesus in his analytical brain and no to Jesus in his heart. And I despised his Judaism. I thought it was stubborn. I thought it was hard-headed. I thought it was foolish. I thought it was a distortion. I thought it was disgusting. This is the first time in my memory that I look back and I see in my life struggle with anti-Semitism. I felt it deeply. And I went on to feel it when I thought of him, when I saw him. We weren't really friends after that. And for years, these feelings would come up when I would talk to Jewish people. And over time, God began to poke at me about this. And over time, by God's grace, I learned and continued to be in process of learning, taking that sin of hating my fellow human being because of what they believe, hating a fellow human being because they almost believe what I believe, but the door's closed. And I've learned, and I'm still learning, to take that and bring it to the light, bring it to the Lord, and say, Lord, you've got to deal with this. And I'm thankful for God's grace. Now the reason I tell you this story is because anti-Semitism is a very real thing in our world. It's a very real thing in us. Maybe you're like me, maybe not. But I'm willing to bet I'm not the only one in this room who has struggled. Our passage today is the key text the number one text that is used by Christians and by Christian-leaning people to justify anti-Semitism. To baptize it as something that comes from Jesus. In our, in our passage, Jesus looks at a group of Jews who say, our father is Abraham, and he says, no, your father is the devil. And this text has been appealed to for years and years. To say, look, look at what Jesus says about them. 
Look at how hard-hearted they are. Look at how they picked up stones to stone him. Look how these are Christ killers, not just with their actions, but in their hearts. This was one of the number one texts used by the German Christians who supported the Nazis during World War II. This text is hard to read. I want to just be clear here. Uh, Anti-Semitic ideology, behavior, even harboring or welcoming of anti-Semitic feelings is wrong. It's sin. It's disgusting. So when we read this, and Jesus says to these people, your father is the devil. If we want to honor God, if we want to be close to God, if we want to be the people he wants us to be, we need to figure this out. We can't just say, oh yeah, I feel what Jesus must have been feeling. We can't import our anti-Semitism into this text. And if we're Christians who pledge allegiance to Jesus, we need to figure out what's actually going on here. And that's hard. Either uh, the German Christians and the Nazis were right, and then we got to figure that out. That can't be the case. Or Jesus never said this. Or we need to really take some time with this passage and figure out what's actually going on. So that's what I want to do. Uh, I want to examine the conversation between Jesus and these people in this passage. And then I want to interpret it together with humility. Because God has something for us here. And it's hidden under layers and layers and layers of historical misinterpretation and our own inclination in sin to accept the fact that the Lord himself would call one of our fellow human beings a child of the devil. So, let's examine it. There's basically two parts to this conversation. Uh, there is what Jesus, what, there's what each party says about themselves. Jesus says some things about himself. People say some things about themselves. That's part one. What each party claims to be true about themselves. And then part two is what each party claims to be true about the other. And basically divide it up that way. So let's look at it that way. What does Jesus claim about himself? What do these uh, people claim about themselves? And then what do they claim about each other? So let's look at it. First, what does Jesus say about himself in this passage? Well, Uh, He says that he is uh, the bearer, the speaker of truth. Uh, Verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says that he is the one who sets people free with his truth. He's the liberator, kind of like God, kind of like Moses. In the story, he's the one that sets people free from sin slavery, and he does it because what he speaks, what he teaches, is true. In fact, we can even go as far as to say he thought of himself as the truth. So he says that. He's a liberator, he sets people free because he has the truth. 
He also says he can liberate people from sin slavery because he's the son. He says, uh, we looked at this last week, if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And he alludes to uh, this cultural thing that was happening in his time and happens sometimes here in our world. He doesn't endorse it, but he alludes to this uh, hierarchical family structure that existed in the Roman world where at the top of the authority structure would be the dad, the oldest male, and then you would have sons, and then you would have the women, and then you would have slaves. Jesus does not endorse this, but he refers to it. He says, look, another slave can never set a slave free in a household, but a son can. And then he says, I'm the son, so I'm the one who sets you free. Claims to be the son of God. That's significant. He goes on. He claims to be the one who does God's work. Uh, He claims to be the one who speaks for God. He claims to be sent from God. And at the very end of the passage, he makes a claim to be God. It's one of the most famous things Jesus had ever said. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And there is... uh, Across Christian and non-Christian scholarship, uh, there's agreement that what Jesus was doing here was alluding to that Exodus story when God said, I am who I am. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm God. So Jesus' claims here are big. In fact, it's, it's basically what we have been learning all through John's Gospel. He's hitting the major themes that we have seen all through this Gospel. He is God's person. He is sent from the Father. He speaks God's words. He does God's work. He sets people free. And then in the end, he does all this because he is God. That's what Jesus claims about himself. Now, what do these Judean Jews, what do they say about themselves? Well, it's interesting that what they say sounds very much like what Jesus is saying. Uh, They say that they are children of Abraham. That's them saying, we are God's people. Now Jesus is claimed to be God's person, and then they say, we are God's people. Very similar. They say they don't need liberation. They say we've never been slaves to anyone. Now we could sit back and say, "Uh, slaves in Egypt, uh, currently under the thumb of Rome, never been slaves to anyone. But that's what they said. They claim to be free. They claim to be a liberated people. And they claim to be God's children. In verse uh, 41, they say explicitly, they they say to Jesus, we're not illegitimate children. Maybe they were making a reference to his questionable parental situation. The only father we have is God himself. Now again, this is after Jesus claimed to be the Son. So here we have two parties claiming almost the same thing. Jesus saying, I'm God's Son, I come from God, I'm God's person, I have been sitting here from God to liberate you because I have the truth. And then the people in response say, we don't need liberation, we're already free because we are God's persons and uh, we are God's sons. And so there's tension here. And in this tension, we see a back and forth. So, 
What's the back and forth? Well, what do they, they start to say things about each other. They start to refute each other's arguments. And we see as this happens, the conversation begins to escalate. Jesus says that these people he's talking to, he says that they're uh, basically murderers. He says in verse 37 and in verse 40, he says, you're looking for a way to kill me. And then in verse 40, he says, you're looking for a way to kill me. He says it twice. Uh, he says that they have no room for his word in their heart. Their hearts are closed to his word. They might hear it in their heads, but it doesn't sink down. Uh, verse 37. You're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. And then in verse uh, 43, something interesting happens. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And then a little bit farther down, he says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now we see his claim to be divine kind of joining in with his claim that they don't hear him. You don't have room in your heart for my word that I'm speaking to you. And the reason is because you don't belong to God. Jesus is arguing back. He's basically calling them liars. They have just said, we're, God's, we're saying, we're God's children. He's saying, you don't belong to God. You're not listening to me. Jesus says their father is the devil. That's their true father. Then he says the devil is the father of lies. If he says, your father is the devil and he's the father of lies, he's basically calling his people a lie. And then he says the, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Well, he's already said, you guys are basically murderers. Jesus, this is not like the like happy face, gentle, calm uh, Jesus we see like on the chosen. <laughs> like this is, this is, Jesus is like, filters off. Uh, this is hard hitting Jesus. And the Judeans, the people he's talking to, they, they throw it right back. They make that comment about, we are not illegitimate children. Uh, that really comes across as like a passive aggressive way of like taking a shot at Jesus' mom. <laughs> uh, that's rough. Then they say he's a Samaritan. Aren't we right in saying and that he's demon possessed? Aren't we right in saying he's a Samaritan and possessed by a demon? Well, you remember from John four, Jews hated Samaritans. Um, and then them saying you're possessed by a demon is kind of like them saying we're not from the devil, you're from the devil. And again, it escalates and escalates and escalates all the way to the point where Jesus says. You know what? Basically, paraphrased, uh, I'm God. And they pick up stones. As Jesus confronts these people, the conversation, they match him note for note. And the conversation just escalates and escalates and escalates. And there's no way out. Until finally, Jesus just. Excuse, quietly excuses himself and slips out through the crowd. Now, as we read this, uh, if we're reading this as Christians, 
we're reading it with a lens. Uh, we've decided already that Jesus doesn't sin. Jesus is perfect, and whatever he does is right. So, uh, and that's part of having faith in Christ and reading the scriptures. So we, there should be something in us that says, okay, we need to figure out a way to make what Jesus is saying to these Jews justifiable. And that's where so many of us Christians get in trouble with, oh, there's something wrong with the Jews. So do you see how anti-Semitism can naturally just grow right out of this passage? Some people try to counter that by saying, okay, I'm going to take off the lens. Uh, I'm not going to take Jesus' side right away. So what's happening? They'll say, well, clearly both... Clearly they got caught up in the moment. Clearly both parties are in the wrong. And clearly, okay, um, maybe. But then at that point, we're still departing from our Christian faith. How do we hold to what we claim to be true as Christians and read this passage about Jesus where he doesn't seem to fit our Christianity if we want to be good Christians? believe what he says, but also don't have hatred for our brother or sister, fellow human. Well, the only way to do it is to try to interpret this passage with great humility. Instead of coming in and trying to file the passage away in our preconceived religious paradigm, we need to come in low and put ourselves under the passage. And so, what that means is this. First and foremost, when we read this, we need to say no to the temptation to read it as something that is about somebody else. We need to look at this and say, where am I in this passage? Where can I be confronted by the truth in this passage? Instead of worrying about how Jesus might be getting on to everybody else, maybe we should ask, is Jesus getting on to me here? That's the first thing. Read about it as if it's, not as if it's automatically about someone else. Now, when we do that and we go back to the opening verses of the passage, I think we'll see that the whole anti-Semitic or maybe a hardline fundamentalist, or the Jesus-dismissing ways of reading this are all wrong. Look at these first verses. Even as Jesus spoke, many believed in him. And to the Jews, remember the word there, sorry, New International Version Bible, it's not Jews, it's Judeans. What is that? means the Jews who lived in Judea who were a part of that religious Jerusalem-based religious establishment. So to the Judeans who had believed in him, Jesus said. Okay, that's important. Jesus is speaking to a group of people who belong to a divinely established religious system who have already professed to believe what Jesus is saying. That's who his audience is. 
Who established the Jerusalem-based religious system? God did. You can read about it in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So these people, these Judeans, belong to a divinely established religious system, and they are Judeans who had already professed or already shown that they believe in Jesus. Now, can you think of anyone who belongs to a divinely established religious system who claims to believe in Jesus? Raise your hand. Who is Jesus talking to in this passage? Jesus is not talking to the Jews. Jesus is not talking to the Hebrew people. I don't even think Jesus was talking to my middle school friend. Jesus is talking to me. And he's talking to you. So that whole school of, see, Jesus thinks the Jews are from the devil. I can almost, I don't want to put words in the Holy Spirit's mouth. But if I would be so bold, (laughs) he would say, no. Jesus is talking to you, church. That's really important. So we don't need to read this as something that's about some other people group. We need to read this as something that's about us. And that's not just being humble. That's actually in the text. But you can't see it unless you come to it with that humility. Okay? So, if Jesus is speaking to us, and in this text, we are experiencing Jesus say to people, to me and people like me, children of the devil, no room for my word, liars. What does that mean? Well, the people in this text were living in a state of spiritual denial. Jesus says, look, hold to my truth, listen to my teaching, make, my, make your home in my word. And they say, we're already free. We're children of Abraham. We don't need what you have to say. We're God's children. If we start with, okay, we believe in Jesus. We believe what he says. But I, uh, I don't need to be liberated. And I'm already good. And I'm already good with God. And everything's great, so I actually don't need what Jesus is offering me right now. That's called uh, being in a state of spiritual denial or being spiritually arrogant. When you start with, I believe in Jesus, but then you reject what Jesus has to give. When you claim to be a part, that you want to be a part of his thing that he's doing in the world, but your heart remains closed to him pointing out your sin, when you claim to be a part of his establishment, his church, but you're not willing to submit yourself to his critique, that's called spiritual pride and denial. So is that us? Well, I think if we go about life as if our um, Christianity 
our heritage as Christians, our church's denomination or tradition, whether or not we're members of the church, uh, whether or not we come from a Christian family, whether or not we've ever done anything that we consider one of those big bad sins or not, if we think that any of those things make us exempt from coming to Christ to make our home in His Word, coming in love and looking to Him as the sole source of our salvation, then we're living in a spiritual denial and in spiritual pride. And folks, I think that we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. Other people in our churches struggle with this. How many Christians do you know when we start talking about sin in the world, their first reaction is to point to other people's sin. That's what we do. That's what I do. Spiritual pride. If we dehumanize other people by thinking that we're better than them, if we think that because our church is part of the Presbyterian Church in America, then we're better than people in Presbyterian Church USA, whatever. <laughs> or if we think that we're better than Jewish people or Muslim people, here's one. If we think that we're better than homeless people. I work my job. I pay my rent. Get out from in front of my house. If we think we're better than addicted people or rich people, or people of the opposite sex. Men, if you think you're better than women because you're male. Women, if you think you're better than men because you're not male. Or if we think that we're better than transgender people. Intersex persons. We think we're better than conservative people because we're not tight like them. Or liberal people because we're not crazy like them. However and wherever you think that you're better because of you that comes from the devil Jesus looks at that and says you're more like the father of lies the murderer from the beginning than you are like the God that you claim to be from do you hear Jesus' words here it's to us So, when Jesus, when we read the text, and we read Jesus saying, you're the devil's kids, and we realize, oh, he's talking about us. What should we do? Well, we can do what these fellow uh, Jesus-professing religious people did in this text. We can pick up stones to put Jesus back in his place. Or we can fall on our faces before him. What's crazy is that they pick up stones to kill him. Jesus slips away because it's not his time yet. But it's these very people who end up screaming, crucify him. It's these very people just like us. And you know where the scandalous part of all of this is? When these... Jesus professing religious folks because they're more uh, 
uh, concerned with holding to their make-believe Jesus than the real Jesus who shines his light on them. When they seek to kill him, and when they finally have success in doing so, and Jesus does die, who does he die for? He dies for them. He dies for us. And that's the scandal in all of this. Even though we are right with these folks picking up stones, every time we raise our hearts in pride against God, every time we do that, it just takes, in a way, Him, in a way, and us, right back to the cross. Where He goes and He faces the devil for us. This is the depth and the radical nature of God's grace in Christ. Once you come to Him, whether you come professing or you come ready to try to take Him out, when you go to Him and you keep pushing in, what do you find? You find love. You find grace. So folks, Remember the story that we read earlier where God says to Moses, you know, go set my people free, do my work. And Moses says, who am I? And God says, again, paraphrased, hey man, it's not really about that. It's about who I am. And I am. Um, God won't let Moses, his person who he's commissioning to do his work, God won't let Moses out of the off of the leash of his love. God's act and God's identity, God's work of being a liberator is part of who he is. And who he is is fixed. He is. And so Jesus, who is that I am, he comes to us. And we can look at him all day and say, Jesus, do you know who I am? And he says, look, it's really not about that. It's about who I am. So, friends, brothers, sisters, if the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. And no matter what kind of nasty children of the devil business lives in your heart, bring it to Jesus. And if you need to, rail against him. He won't be moved. And in the end, there's only grace and forgiveness for you. Let's pray.